Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Noah. If you will take your copy of God's Word and join me in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been in 1 Timothy with Pastor Chad, so it should be easy to find. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to break away from, from Pastor Chad's series just for the moment today. Uh, let's continue to pray for Pastor Chad and his wife and for their family as they're traveling to visit family, uh, needing some respite, needing some time away to visit and catch up. So let's pray that the Lord makes that time sweet for them. My name is Bo Rice. I know that we have quite a few guests this morning. I know I saw, met some of the family of Cade. Welcome from Thibodeau. We're glad to have you this morning. And uh, I know they are excited about what God is doing in Cade's life. And look, I'm just impressed by our youth, aren't you? I mean, you can see this group down here in the blue shirts. Yes. It's incredible to see what God is doing in their lives. I want to thank Pastor Noah myself, because I can say that as, my, as two of my kids who went to camp came back, they said this was the best camp experience they'd ever had. And they've grown up in the church. They've been around a lot of church camps and just were absolutely thrilled at what God had been teaching them and their friends. So uh, we want to say thank you to Noah and Brittany and for all those, for all the chaperones who went. Thank you for investing in our children. We love you and appreciate you. Second Timothy chapter three, this morning I'd like for us to consider faithfulness in the face of opposition. Faithfulness in the face of opposition. I have a question for you. How many of you right now are bothered by the direction that we're going? You say, well, wait a minute, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? What, 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 what are we referring to? How, how many of you are bothered by the direction that we're going? What, what, what are specifically are you talking about? How, how many of you are bothered by, let's say, the direction of our culture? How many of you are bothered by the direction of our society? How many of you are bothered by the direction of our country, our nation? How many of you are bothered by the direction that the world is steadily, progressively moving towards? Look, as believers, we should be bothered. Now, now hear me, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. We as believers are those who have great hope in Christ. The scriptures are very clear, and we just got finished singing about it a moment ago, that one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to return. And, and until that moment happens, you and I have the, the distinct opportunity and privilege to live our lives for the glory of God. We are those who have great hope. But still, as believers, when we look in the world around us, it's absolutely natural to feel somewhat discouraged, to, to see the direction that that the world around us is taking and, and just to, to feel concern. Look, let's just be honest, even in some churches, the creep of the world is beginning to have more of an influence in our churches than the word of God itself. There are churches all over the world, but specifically and particularly in our nation, that the culture and the society have a louder voice amongst the congregation than the word of God itself. I hope that as members of FBNO, I hope that our family is bothered by that. I'm so grateful that we have a pastor who labors every Sunday when he stands in this pulpit to proclaim the word of God fully. 
I wasn't even here last Sunday, but as I knew I had opportunity to preach this Sunday, I was traveling one day this week. And, and so I just pulled my phone up. I was not doing while I was driving. I pulled my phone up before I drove and I, and I, and I cast the sermon. And I listened to the sermon as I was driving from here to Laurel. And, and I was just struck at, at not only the word of God, but, but the diligence of our pastor to faithfully divide God's word into, and to lay it out for his people. I'm grateful. We are a church who absolutely, as one of our key values, desires to be Scripture-fed. As we think about what God's Word calls us to be as a people of God, it's absolutely natural to look around the world and to look into our society and to look into our culture, to look into our city, to look into our state, to look around us and to be bothered. Because what we see is just a steady creep of immorality, of moral decay. You know, that's nothing new. If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 10 in a moment. That's our primary text. But before we get there, we need a little bit of the context. I don't have to give you a lot of context because the context of 2 Timothy is the same context as 1 Timothy. And Pastor Chan has done a great job of laying that out for us week after week. But we jump in here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just listen to verse 1 really quick. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Paul begins by writing to Timothy and says, hey, come in here real close, Timothy. You need to understand that things are going to continue to get worse. Before they get better, they're going to continue to get worse. How? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Paul says, look, you need to understand, Timothy, that this world is going to continue to decay. It's going to continue to be warped because there are so many people who might even hold to some form of godliness, right? At least profess it. But the truth is, is that what they're really holding on to is more of this unholiness, this ungratefulness, this disobedience, this loving of self and loving of money, the list that he mentions there. So you've got to understand that things are going to progressively get worse in these last days. Church, if that was true in the day that Paul wrote it, can I just say that tenfold it's going to get worse today in our country, in our nation, in our society, in our culture, in our, in our city. We should absolutely be prepared and expect this. You see, Paul acknowledges the day in which he lived, there was... There was this progressive move towards selfishness. There was this steady moral decay. What was said then can be said today. What was true then is absolutely true today. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, how can we be faithful? How can we be faithful? You see, God's called each and every one of us in this room, youth group, <clears throat> this week, you have been just absolutely enamored with the mercy and the grace of God. You need to be prepared. When school starts back, if it's not now, when school starts back and you begin to try to live your life for the glory of God, things are going to get bad at times. You might be mocked. You might be ridiculed. It's just the reality, right? 
The question that we have to ask ourselves is in these moments, how can you and I, how can we as God's people be faithful? Let's look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 10. I'm going to ask, if you will, stand in honor of God's word as we read this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, begin reading in verse 10. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Did you hear it, church? In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know that those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts. Lord, we give you our lives and we open up our hearts to you freely. And we ask that the word of God would saturate us. We ask that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that your word would convict us, that it would instruct us, that it would teach us, it would rebuke us. And that Lord, when we leave here today, that we would absolutely not look like the world. We would be a people who are committed to be faithful, living our lives for the glory of God as we walk, memorize, live out the word that you've placed in us. Lord, I pray that First Baptist New Orleans would always be a church that's scripture-fed. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. As Christians, how can you and I be faithful in difficult times, in uncertain times, in stressful times that Paul is writing about to Timothy here? When things continue to get worse, how can you and I be faithful Well, Paul really gives us kind of two instructions here in this passage. Begin reading there in verse 10 again. We're not going to read through it, but you see here that first and foremost, what Paul tells us as followers of Christ is that we must be faithful. We must be faithful in the face of opposition. In verses 10 through 13, look, it's important for Timothy, as it is for all Christians, to realize that persecution is awaiting everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ. If you have a desire to live your life for the glory of God, if you are striving to memorize God's word, to apply God's word, to allow his word to mold you and shape you, if you have a desire to to live your life for the glory of Christ in and through this world, in this society, in this culture, hear me church, come in here real close, don't miss this. You should absolutely expect for some form of persecution to come. You see what Paul does here is he begins really by reminding Timothy what he had seen. 
how he'd experienced it himself. Timothy had been with Paul as, as they traveled together through Antioch, through Iconium, through Lystra. He had witnessed the way that Paul had lived and the constancy in which he had taught. He had, he had observed Paul's life. He had seen the faithfulness of Paul in his life. He, he had heard Paul speak the truth of the gospel. All throughout this time, as he was doing this, he was witnessing all these persecutions coming upon Paul. In the midst of certain persecution, in the midst of stoning, in the midst of just being imprisoned, in the midst of all the chaos that Paul was going through, being persecuted for his faith, Paul was still a witness to Timothy. Timothy was watching the faithfulness of Paul on display, living his life for the glory of God. And what Paul does is he tells Timothy that he should expect the situation to get worse and the pressure to intensify. Look, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but let me just echo what the scriptures teach. All throughout, Jesus Christ himself and multiple times through the gospels, multiple times you see in the epistles where Paul oftentimes is speaking this, he is simply saying Christ Jesus himself and Paul and others say, look, things are going to get worse before they get better. Recently reported just in January of this year that hostile incidents against Christians have increased by 20% since the year 2014. And that just in recent years, that some 360 million Christians are said to have faced persecution, harassment, and or discernment, or excuse me, discrimination. You, you can see, right, all over the globe. Now, first off, I'm not trying to compare what we're going through here today in our culture compared to what some of our brothers and sisters of Christ across the globe are, are experiencing. Some are being persecuted to the point of death, becoming martyrs for the sake of the gospel. But, but this organization that's reporting on this even speaks to how Christians, even in our culture, in Western society, in Europe, in London, in England, and, and even in the United States, how some form of persecution, even the point of harassment and discrimination, how it has been in the steady increase since by 20% since the year 2014. We're just seeing this natural progression. Now, hear me. If we're not careful, we could see this and, and hear this truth and, and we could become worried and, and fretful and, 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 just, and, and just downright angry or mad or sad. We, we can have all these different emotions. What Paul teaches us here is this. It's going to be Okay. That, that from the foundation of time, God has planned, God has even ordained what you and I are going to experience ultimately for his glory and our good. You say even persecution, even harassment? Absolutely. You know where, you know where the gospel is, is right now in, in the world? Do you know where the gospel is, 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 is growing the most quickly? Do you know where Christianity is actually seeing an increase where more people are coming to faith in Christ? It's in the countries that are very hostile towards the gospel. It's in the countries where Christianity is illegal. It's, it's, in, the wor- it's in the sections and parts and the, these nations in the world that, that literally the church has to meet underground, ha- have, to, have to meet at nighttime, have to meet in houses with the curtains drawn. And Christianity is rapidly growing in places where there is the most persecution. You and I look at a passage like this, we can become discouraged and thinking there's, there's no hope. No, listen to me, church. There's absolutely hope. 
You and I can continue to, to face face opposition and yet still be faithful because we serve a sovereign God who is using all things for his glory and our good. Paul just simply reminds Timothy, you've seen it, you've witnessed it, you've experienced yourself. Just understand things are gonna continue to get worse. Still be faithful. Be faithful in the face of opposition. Here's my question to you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are are you Are you ready to experience some form of persecution? In the midst of that, are you going to be faithful? Are you ready to live your life for the glory of God when someone mocks you for being someone who believes in a risen Savior? Are you, youth, are you going to continue to sing praises to God when someone mocks you because you're wearing a cross around your neck? Are you, are we going to be a people who are going to continue to live our lives for the glory of God when the society around us looks at us and screams that we are intolerant simply because we believe in the words of this book? How are we going to respond, church? Will we be faithful in the face of opposition? Paul here in instruction to Timothy doesn't end by just simply encouraging Timothy to be faithful in the face of opposition, but he actually tells him how. And this is where I wanna, I wanna dig in a little deeper. He actually tells him how. You, you wanna know how you can be faithful in the face of opposition, Timothy? Do you, you wanna know how you can be faithful in the face of opposition, FBNO? Here it is. Paul says, be faithful to God's word. How can you and I be faithful in the face of opposition? Here it is, it's very simple. You and I must be faithful to the word of God. Again, I go back to what Pastor Chad always says and reminded us last Sunday. We as God's people here at FBNO, one of our core values, what we hold up the most is that we are going to be a people who are scripture fed. I'd like to add something to that. If you and I, and I didn't ask Pastor Chad, so don't tell him I'm adding anything, right? But if you and I are not scripture fed, then you and I better be prepared to be spiritually dead. Look, if you and I don't commit ourselves to this book, if you and I don't commit ourselves to what this word calls us to do, if you and I don't commit ourselves to live our lives for the glory of God according to the word that he has spoken to us, then you and I need to understand this. If we're not scripture fed, We need to be prepared to be spiritually dead, dried up, not ready to face opposition. You see, you and I can be faithful to God's word because of what God's word says of itself. Dig into these scriptures a little deeper. It says, be faithful to God's word. Why? Because it's profitable for teaching. Pick up there, verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, speaking of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures, verse 15, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. Let's stop right there for a moment. You and I are called to be faithful to God's word because hear me, church, it's profitable for teaching. 
You see, the wisdom and guidance for fulfilling everything that God commands us to think, say, and do is found in his inerrant, authoritative, and complete word. It should go without saying that it's impossible to believe, understand, and follow what you and I don't even know. Right? It should go without saying that if we don't know something, we don't understand something, then it's impossible for us to actually live it out and, 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 and understand it and, and believe it. I've got a quick practical example. When I was in college, I worked at Sears. I was a PMT, preventative maintenance technician. I grew up in the woods, grew up um, just in, on my summers with working in the paper mill, learned, learned, I worked on a maintenance crew and learned, learned how to be um, productive with my hands in different ways. So when I was in college, I started working as a PMT, the preventative maintenance technician for Sears. And I was one of those guys, you know, wore the blue pants and the blue and white striped shirt that oftentimes would, would ride around in a van. If you had an issue in your home, they would call us in. And I was the actual store technician, but I would go with others and, and fix things for people, right? Learn seal systems on refrigerators and all different kinds of things. <clears throat> One of the things that used to drive me crazy was there, I could tell you time and time again, there would be people who would order things like, simple things, like, like a weed eater. Right? And, and they would, or they would come to the store and buy the weed eater and they'd take it home. And, and you know, for me, I grew up running weed eaters and chainsaws and different things. So I, I kind of knew how, how, to, how to make this thing run. But, but time and time again, people would buy something like a brand new weed eater and they'd take it home and they'd pull it out of the box and just pour the gas in it and start ripping on the cord and it wouldn't fire. Just get upset. And they'd bring it back to the store and say, My weed eater doesn't work. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Did you get your one gallon can of gas and put in this oil that was in the box? Because it's a two cycle engine, right? Did, did, you, did you go through this process? Well, no, I, I didn't know to do that. Well, there's this little thing called the instruction manual that's inside the box. And it should go without saying that if you would just open up the book and read just step one, step two, step three, you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. Now, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it quite like that. I actually bought my grandfather a brand new lawnmower once because a man ordered a, a, a lawnmower from Sears and it was actually shipped to his house by crate, <clears throat> opened up there on the top of the lawnmower said, step one, step two, step three, right? Exactly how to get this thing running. Put gas in it, fired it up, got on it, never would move and just got angry. Rolled it up on the trailer, brought it back to the store, rolled it off and said, I want my money back. So let's, let's talk about that really quick. Step one, put in gas. Step two, push the clutch. Step three, turn the key. Step four, or somewhere in there, there's this little pin on the back that disengages the transmission. And you got to pull that pin, put it in so the transmission would start. Did you do that? Well, no, I didn't know to do that. Because you missed step three or four. It seems obvious. It should go without saying that if you don't read the instruction manual, that it could lead you down a path that just leads to frustration and craziness. In the same word, in the same way, church, we have the instruction manual. It, it, is, it is good for our teaching, for our instruction 
Do you wanna know how to live your life in this crazy world when certain opposition comes your way? Students, pick it up, read it. If you and I don't commit ourselves to reading God's word and learning God's word and memorizing God's word, then we shouldn't expect to be taught how to live in this day and age. Church, God's word is something that we can be faithful to. Why? Because it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching. Secondly, we can be faithful to God's word because it's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for reproof. The word for reproof here carries the idea of rebuking in order to convict of misbehavior or false doctrine. Did you know that God's word can actually correct us by convicting us of misunderstanding, misbehavior, and false doctrine. If you remember in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, same deal in 2 Timothy, to, to Timothy to, to, to be encouraged because there was these false teachers who were, who were sneaking into the church and, and saying that if you, wanna, if, you wanna, if you wanna be saved, you gotta believe in Jesus and. And there were so many other things that they were teaching, right? This false doctrine was creeping into the church. Paul is writing this letter to remind Timothy, look, you can be faithful in the face of opposition. You can be faithful if you'll just simply be faithful to God's word because it is, it's profitable to convict you of misbehavior and false doctrine. You see, careful study of scripture can bring about needed reproof. Now, there might be somebody in here this, today. There might be somebody in this room right now who needs to be convicted of misbehavior or false doctrine. You say, well, pastor, you, you don't even know me. You don't know my life. You don't know my struggles. You're right. I, 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 I don't. I, I don't know all of you. I'm not even the pastor here. I, I, I understand. You don't know me. You don't know my struggles. But just maybe, just maybe when, when we read something in Scripture and, and, and we don't like it because it doesn't align with what society says, just maybe when we read something in God's word and we don't like it because it doesn't match up with what another denomination might say. Just because we read something in scripture and we don't like it because it just doesn't make us feel right. It could be that you and I are the problem. It could be that we are the ones who need reproof. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 is the prayer that I pray every day of my life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I wanna pray that God would bring reproof into my life, that he would correct me if there's something in my life, in my mind, in my thought, in my theology, in my understanding, if there's something that's wrong in me, God, you search me, you know my heart, you know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way, not in them, not in you, in me, Lord, and lead me in your way everlasting. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Church, scripture precisely and thoroughly penetrates the believer's heart, soul, and mind. And it does it by bringing 
reproof. It's profitable for convicting us of where we might be wrong. So be faithful. Be faithful to God's word because it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. Thirdly, be faithful to God's word because it's profitable for correction. Now you hear that word, you say, well, that sounds a lot like reproof. It's similar, but this is actually the only place where this word is used in the New Testament and refers to the restoration, the setting up of something to its original and proper condition. Whenever words like this are found in scripture, sometimes you have to look outside the Bible. Hear me, I'm not, I'm not saying we look outside of the Bible for truth, but we have to look outside sometimes just to understand how was this word used? How did, how did the people in that day understand this word whenever it was used? In secular Greek literature, it was used, listen, for setting upright an object that had fallen over and for helping a person back to his feet after stumbling. So someone's just walking and they stumble and they trip. This word for, for this restoration, for this correction is basically to reach down, help someone back up, lift them back up. If there's an object that falls over, you walk over to it, you set it right back up, you set it up right again. So how does that apply? Thank you for asking. Did you know that the word of God can help you get your messed up life back on track? The word of God, when it's read, when it's memorized, when it's loved, when it's followed, when it's applied, the word of God can actually get your less messed up life and my left messed up life back on the right track. It can set us up right again. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. I think you might see this on the screen. It says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Listen, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Have you tasted it? Have you experienced the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ? Right now, do you find yourself wayward in a way that's, that's moving away from where Christ wants you to be, then return to God's word because it can correct you. It can set you back upright. Psalm 119, nine through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man stay on the right track? Listen, by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Church, hear me. Scripture is profitable for correction. And we all need it. We, we all should desire it. So be faithful to God's word because it's profitable for teaching, for correction. It's also, finally, Paul says, be faithful to God's word because it's profitable for training in righteousness. You see, this carries the idea of instruction or building up by strict discipline. I, I'm a father of five. I understand what discipline is. Now, I know when you say that, some are like, okay, what do you mean by that? Here's what I've learned as a father of five. The way I disciplined, number one, has been different from the way I've had to discipline, especially number four. It's a lot of, vari a lot of variables there. You don't have to know everything about my family, 
But the way, uh, my, my, my number two is up here laughing because she agrees, she understands. The way we've had to discipline number one and two and three has been very dis- different from how I've had to discipline number four. It's just a part, there's so many things, right, that make us who we are. And, and so I understand discipline to be not, I'm not talking about in anger or in malice or anything like that. I'm talking about loving correction, right? Loving training, going back to all of this, but loving training and righteousness so, so that my children will, will ultimately see Christ for who he is and trust in him one day and then live their lives out in this society radically different from the world so that people will look at them and see something different about them. I understand what Paul is teaching us here. But again, when we talk about fatherly discipline, sometimes we, we think, man, you, where, where are you going with that? Well, think of, think of discipline as, as basic training. Think, think of discipline here, this instruction, this training in righteousness about as, I don't know, like getting back to the basics. Any LSU Tiger baseball fans out there? Wow, man, that's kind of lame. Y'all just won the Cottles World Series if you didn't get that. Any LSU Tiger baseball fans out there? Look, I, I, am, I am not of the purple and gold stripe. As an Auburn fan, um, we have our own Tigers. But, right, I hear a war eagle up here. But what I will say is this. Between LSU and Florida, I was saying go Tigers. Here's what I understand about baseball. Love baseball, grew up playing it, coach it, love baseball. One of the things I know about baseball is LSU Tigers just won the national championship, right? World Series, College World Series. Come fall, the players who are still on the team, some will go pro, they'll go different ways, right? The players who are still on the team, the guys who just won the national championship, they obviously are really good baseball players, right? They know the game. They have played it all of their lives. Come fall, they'll be in camp. And those infielders are going to take, in a week, I don't know, probably close to a thousand or more ground balls. They're going to spend hours in the batting cage. They're going to be doing things like bunting again. They're going to go through the basics hey, listen to me, they just won the national championship. They are really good baseball players, but come fall, they're gonna get back to the basics of baseball. Why? Why do teams do that? Instruction, training. It's what prepares us for the moment. It is, yes, it might be correcting. Maybe, maybe they've got some bad form that's crept into fielding that ground ball. Maybe there's a little hitch in their step when they're trying to swing the bat. Maybe there's something that needs to be corrected. It's the repetition, it's the training that will bring them back to the point where they're exactly where they need to be. That's the kind of discipline that the Word of God is speaking of here. That's the way a father disciplines his child. I'm gonna show you this again, number four, for the 500th time. And that's actually a conversation I have frequently because you got to get this. You, you got to see it, son. You, you got to know this and we're going to do it again. And I'm going to do it with you. We're going to do it again. That's 
training in righteousness. Hebrews 12, five through 11 says, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that, listen, so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, coming here real close, later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hear me, church. Don't miss this. You wanna know how you can live a faithful life in the face of opposition? Paul encourages us to do that. That will only happen when you and I, first and foremost, remain faithful to the word of God. Why? Because it indeed is profitable for our teaching, for our rebuking, for our correcting, for our training in righteousness. Why does all this matter? What good is it? What good is it that God's word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, Paul? Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, God wants us to live for his glory. In the face of opposition, God wants us to live for his glory. When the world and society and culture are screaming at us and begin to penetrate and maybe even try to make their way into the church to influence our thoughts, to influence the way we look at God's word, to influence so many things, listen, in love and in grace, we can stand firmly in God's word. Why? Because it's profitable. It's profitable for, for our teaching, for our rebuking, for our correction, for our training in righteousness. The question is, are you ready? Go back to what I asked earlier. Are you ready? Until Jesus returns, are you ready to face opposition? Are you ready to be mocked? Are you ready to be ridiculed? Are you ready to be made fun of? So yeah, I'm ready. Will you be faithful? That's the mark of our readiness. Will you be faithful? Faithful to what, preacher? Well, what Paul just said. Faithful to the word of God. Church, we're called to be faithful in the face of opposition, and that only begins when we're faithful to his word.